The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Corday. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Corday. And welcome to the Reimagine America Hour and to Daylight Saving Time. This may be the last time you have to push your clocks forward because the California legislature is debating um, whether or not they should make Daylight Saving Time a 365-day event. Um, And I think there are some pluses and minuses to that. But one of the things that I thought about was if California did that, the rest of the nation didn't. Could our computers make the switch? Now, that's a serious question. Answer will come in time. However. I think they will. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that. Well, they'll have to put a patch in everything. If, if you have they online. Figured, you know what? I set my alarm last night before the, uh, the time change. And, and I get the, when I set, whenever I set an alarm, it says, We'll go off in you know three and a half hours or whatever. It had already factored in the time change when I set my alarm last night to wake up this morning. So if they can do that, they can do anything. Um, but that's because it is online real time um, updates to your uh, to the phone. Right. You, you paid for that in your in your uh, data service. Um, I'm not thinking it will be so much a problem for um, for the phone. It will be. It may be a problem for Outlook, for example. You know, so if you have an, a Microsoft Windows computer um, or or an Apple, you know, and and I'm not sure that um, they won't have to make a, a patch for that to to say you know because it'll be different for different states. Right. It'll be. I think it'll just be cute. I think it's going to confuse humans more than anything. Well, that's what I fear, you know, having to calculate, oh, it's nine o'clock here. So that's 12 o'clock in New York. Oh, whoops. Wait a minute. It's really 11 o'clock in New York. That and and then um, and then in Arizona, it's oh, it's still nine o'clock. It, it will be confusing unless everybody makes a consistent move. But if California moves the rest of the nation may move. And that would make Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez happy because that would save some energy. 
Really? Yeah, not much. And, I, it and if it's always called, if, and would they, wouldn't they have to rename it too? Because daylight saving, like, what are we saving for? We're, we're always using it. Um. Well, if we went to it nationally, we would just say. It's it, time. It's time. It's just time. It's just time. If we have a patchwork quilt where it's um, 11 o'clock in New York and 12 o'clock in New Jersey, then that will, I'm, I'm not sure how our very um, automated world will handle that. It, you know, I mean, I have in, in never missed an airplane, but this is kind of scary. <laughs> so let's go. So we all know that the world of politics and media is inflamed. And so I, we spend this hour every Sunday trying to do something different, trying to give you information so that you can draw your own conclusions. And we start by looking at what's in the numbers this week. Well, not so much, but here we go. Jesse Smollett. It was indicted by a federal grand jury on 16 counts of perjury. Who has ever before been indicted for 16 counts, separate counts of perjury around one stupid episode? But don't worry. The total he could get in the federal sentencing system is less than what Paul Manafort has gotten to date. So... Okay, really quick on that. A lot yep. of people are freaking out that Paul Manafort didn't get a, a lot of time. Now, he he still has another case pending, right? He does. And now, does that other case potentially have a bigger sentence attached to it? Um, under the guidelines, he could get 10 years for two counts of conspiracy that he pled guilty to. Um, plus, he pled guilty to the 18 counts where the jury was hung in Virginia. So the sentence he got compared to, let's say, Snipes or or Congressman Jefferson, et cetera, was way on the low side. So we will see what happens. He is not um, Judge Berman, who will sentence him Thursday in Washington, is not a fan. And she has all of the 800 pages of evidence that's highly redacted that we'd all are dying to know what's in those redactions. Um, and so I I think there are two questions. Will she go to the max? Because she'll go higher, but will she go to the max that she's allowed? And will she make that concurrent? So in other words, he serves his Washington and his Virginia sentences at the same time as they did with Cohn. And, um, and if he... Um, uh, if she has, she can make them consecutive, which means he would serve the 47 months in Virginia plus whatever she gives him. So that could be a sentence of 14 years. Um, it it really is a question of if you give a congressman um, uh, 13 years for stashing a couple million dollars in his freezer and then you give this white person who has been uh, the political representative of of oligarchs and um, and communists and and fascists um, forty seven months because he's had a blameless life. Um, I'm a little confused. Um, so 
you know, I think there is, I think the, the bottom line is let's not focus on Manafort. Um, although Michael Cohn may want to, because the fact of the matter is that Michael Cohn's tax problem is one fifth the size of Manafort's, and he got more time actually. So, um, there, Judge Ellis probably should just retire. I mean, there's a record there that says he should probably retire. So, um, we'll see what happens this week. Uh, Roger uh, Stone goes back to court, um, and he is also not a fan, uh, uh, one of uh, Judge Berman's favorite people. And we will see Judge Jackson. I'm sorry, her name is Berman Jackson. Um, and we'll see what happens. But the bottom line is sentencing guidelines and the guy and the commission need major um, uh, investigation and revision. So moving right along, do you know that the economy only created 22,000 jobs in February? Yeah, the estimate was 180,000 jobs and we created, in fact, only 22,000 so what, what's causing that? Well, a lot of things. Trade policy and slowing go, global economic activity are having an impact on the U.S., even though our economy seems to be clicking right along. Climate change, you know, those bang, 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 one after another, big, horrible winter storms, not to mention ours, um, I'm sure have had an impact on hiring. Um, so we will see if that bounces back in March. So I don't see any cause for panic yet, but maybe it's a preview of things to come if our leaders, and I use that word in quotes, in Washington, don't stop bickering and start fixing. As James Rex pointed out last week, politicians make promises to get our vote. And then they spend the next two, four, or six years worrying about re-election more than they do resolving those problems. But the news and my, and my Twitter feed, at Joyce Cordy, all one word, lowercase, reprised in, in real time on Reimagine America, was filled with hundreds, maybe even a thousand hysterical, vile, stupid, uninformed, putrid examples of the intersectionality movement in the Democratic Party and just how virulently anti-Semitic it is. And it's coming. It's, it's a real problem on our college campuses because most of that vile was coming from people who look just like you and me or the pictures of their pets. And we'll be back right after the commercial to talk more about what is intersectionality. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And at 9.30, we're going to be joined by Rob Long, who is the creator of Cheers and a whole bunch of other sitcoms. So I thought maybe, and we're going to talk with him a little bit about our culture 
and how we can take our culture back. Whatever happened to the melting pot that made America, America? So I thought maybe before Rob got here that we needed to take a quick refresher course on what is intersectionality, as they like to call it, or as Jonah Goldberg calls it, the new aristocracy. Well, what is it? I think, sadly, that Jonah is correct. That new aristocracy, that new sense of um, we're in charge, I'm the boss, is what makes Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and others like them so dangerous. They're dangerous intellectually, and yes, they're dangerous physically because all of this nonsense that we are hearing and seeing on, on Twitter finds its way into real live incidents of anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, and other problems. So I kind of think about Omar and Tlaib and Ocasio-Cortez. In my mind, it's kind of like the coven of witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth, if you can remember back to high school, you know, when they're around the cauldron going, you know, double, double, toil and trouble. They are trouble. So let's talk about the new aristocracy, or as I like to call it, the victimization movement. And here it goes. But you're going to have to pay really close attention because I got to go really fast. And there's a lot of mathematical addition that you have to do here. So we'll start with California's very large Hispanic population. All right, so if you're a Hispanic who protests immigration restrictions on you and your family, whether we agree or disagree, you must also subscribe to the manifesto. You're not allowed to have immigration concerns unless you also subscribe to the manifesto of Black Lives Matter, that all cops are inherently racist and killers, even though the, the majority of officers put their lives on the line for you and me every day and only get recognized when they make the ultimate sacrifice, but not then by the victimization movement. Personally, I think every life matters. I mourn for every mother who loses a child to guns, gangs, drunk driving, or drugs, regardless of the color of their skin or the language they speak at home. But remember, we now have Hispanics who have concerns about immigration must also subscribe to Black Lives Matter. Now add to that, you can't see yourself as a black or Hispanic victim without also reflexively affirming that every fifth, sixth, or seventh generation removed from Palestine, Palestinian, holding any passport from any nation has an undeniable right to return, quote unquote, a right to return, quote unquote, to what we today call Israel. Now that includes Ms. Tlaib and Uma Abedin. How about we offer the same kind of treatment to Native Americans? What do you think about that? Or we stop talking about reparations to the descendants of Southern plantation slaves and pay them. But that, folks, is a subject for a whole show. So keep going. Keep going. If you're black, brown, or so-called Palestinian descendant, 
to be a new aristocrat, you must also riot over the idea that every woman, no matter how implausible the claim of sexual assault, has an automatic right not just to be heard, but to be believed no matter how implausible the claim. In other words, to be a new aristocrat, you must believe in hashtag me too, uber alles. No pun intended. And there's more. If all that outrage and reflexive intolerance has not yet completely exhausted you, and it's exhausting me, there is that important moment of all women must go to the barricades. Yes, if you've seen Les Mis, just keep that visual. Determined to burn society to the ground over the right to abortion on demand, even after the moment of delivery. They demand that as an inalienable right of every woman. Did anybody ask the baby? And what if that baby is a girl? You can see intersectionality has nothing to do with logic or rationality. And then just as if we've just here built an ice cream sundae, well, here comes the cherry on the top. And now, careful, if there are kids in the room, I don't mean to offend anyone. And if it were not for Jonah Goldberg, so we'll blame him because he's in Spain right now, I would not have believed that this specific Facebook site exists. Heck, I would never have thought of it. But the site is called Women Who Have Penises. And yes, it is part of the intersectionality movement. I think it's also a category on Pornhub. Uh, I would have no knowledge of that. I just, I, I'm just guessing. I'm not that I would know from experience. Well, but I did because, you know, I always do my research. I don't want to steer the, the audience wrong. I actually looked, and this site really does exist. No kidding. Now, a lot of you may be cheered by the fact that intersectionality or the victimization movement or the new aristocracy, you take your pick, you call it whatever you want. It's craziness, okay? It's bad for Americanness, but it's creating an internal struggle within the Democratic Party. Bernie Sanders announced another run for the Democratic nomination, and in one day, he raised a total of $2 million in $27 individual contributions. That's way ahead of any other announced or possible candidate. And have you seen the size of his crowds? No Cracker Barrel restaurants for Bernie. He had needed a stadium in Iowa. So the still Democratic operatives raised a huge, a huge, huge hue and cry. No, no, Bernie can't run because... He's an aged, white, bald, self-proclaimed socialist who can't carry the mantle of intersectionality. He's also Jewish. Um, but he's, you know, he only uses that when it's convenient. Still Democratic, you know, it, it, so think about it. Think about it for a minute. Given the intersectionality movement and the hold they have on the Democratic Party, John or Robert Kennedy 
could not get nominated for the presidency by this Democratic Party. Nor could Martin Luther King, who was someone who preached tolerance. So how are they going to handle Beto? I mean, when it comes right down to it, he's just another white kid with a wife, with a wife and children who couldn't beat Ted Cruz, a, quote, Hispanic, unquote, who doesn't speak Spanish. Joe Biden would clearly be the strongest general election candidate against Donald Trump. But for many of you out there, the good news is he probably couldn't survive the withering fire of an intersectionality Democratic primary season. Nancy Pelosi's having trouble. They tried they tried to manage the coven of wish and of witches with flattery and committee assignments and motherly pats on the head when they behaved. And this week, they learned that approach is not working. AOC has proclaimed herself the boss. Elon Omar issued her third blatantly anti-Semitic trope in as many weeks and escaped censure for it because the Black Caucus feared for her physical safety. What about the physical safety of 11 Jews murdered in Philadelphia? So led by the coven, 16 Democrats wrote to Secretary Pompeo this week condemning U.S. policy in Venezuela. Yes, the coven stands with Cuba, Russia, and China, and Maduro. And yet, Elon Omar remains on the Foreign Relations Committee, and Republicans, I'm proud to say, stripped Steve King of every committee assignment for a whole lot less. And we're going to go to break, and when we come back... Bob Long's going to join us and cheer me up. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back. And with us, we have Rob Long, who is the TV writer and producer author, radio show host, and journalist who brought us wonderful sitcoms like Kevin Can Wait and the popular 80s sitcom Cheers, among a a whole lot of others. Rob is a contributing editor for National Review and has also been a contributor to Time, Newsweek, Newsweek International, The Wall Street Journal, and The Los Angeles Times. He hosts a syndicated radio show, Martini Shot where he provides news and opinion on the film industry. Oh, I bet that's interesting. And he also hosts the Ricochet podcast on the subscription-based podcast ne- network, Ricochet, which is formatted to encourage thoughtful center-right commentary and discussion. Rob's going to be the featured speaker at the Liberty Forum this Tuesday, March 12th, in Mountain View where he'll explain how conservatives could own the culture if they just stopped complaining about it. Tickets are available at liberty-forum.us. And we'll put the link at the end of the podcast version of this show at reimagineamerica.org on our radio page. It'll also be on the uh, 860 feed to um, to this podcast. So, Rob, a couple of Sundays ago, the Reimagine audience and I had a lively discussion about Jesse Smollett and his hoax. Yeah. 
You know, it sounded fishy yeah. to me from the beginning. Yeah, it was a little fishy, right? I mean, you know, there was a minus 20 degrees or something in Chicago, and he was suggesting there were a bunch of guys walking around looking for trouble in, uh, in a kind of a hip section of Chicago. Not, not likely. Not likely. Uh, but, the, but the interesting thing about it was that, is that it was so lamely constructed that he, but he, but he thought he'd get away with it. I mean, let's be honest. This was, I mean, what, what, what was, we don't really know the motivation behind it, but it seems highly likely the motivation behind it was he wanted to get a better deal uh, from his TV show. Which, I mean, listen, I know a lot. I, I often wanted to get a better deal from my TV show, so I understand <laughs> the impulse, right? I get it. Yeah, I'm so Especially human. He wanted a raise, right? We, we all do stuff because we want a raise. But um, the idea that he, you know, my, my reaction to that as a TV writer, as a producer, is like never let actors write the script because it'll always, uh, it'll never work the way he did it. I completely the agree. Thing I, <laughs> the second thing I'd say is that he knew he was going to, he knew he was telling people a story they wanted to hear. He knew that it, that's the first thing you want to do when you're lying to people is tell them something they want to hear. Not tell them something they don't want to hear. You don't want to challenge people. You know, the old story about being a con man is you, can, you can't con an honest person. You can only con somebody who's already willing to bend and to take the shortcut. You know, an honest person, if you try to con them, will say, wait a minute, I know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. I know a Nigerian prince is not going to give me money. I know this isn't really real. But a person thinking like, well, maybe there's a shortcut to all this. Maybe I can just get money for free for nothing. That's the person you can con. And I think the media and sort of that left-wing scaffolding and the culture loved hearing that story. They loved it. He was telling them something they wanted to hear. Um, And so uh, that's why it was so celebrated. that, That was the only smart thing he did was construct a lie that people in the media were like, we're ready to hear. We're probably just, you know, they probably had the template all set up on their computer. You're probably right. But that brings us, you know, my initial reaction was, this is implausible. I mean, Chicago is MAGA country. I mean, give me a break, you know. But but here's here's what, you know, here's what really from a cultural point of view, it's almost like political correctness, that that pre-programmed, what's right, wrong narrative uh, right. that, that you right. is now forcing the political center of America into intellectual speakeasies. I mean, we only talk to each other when we want to tell the truth. And well, that's. Yeah, I think that's true, but I also feel like I mean, I, I maybe I'm I'm the only person who has this experience, but I think that we all have. If you look, if you if you hunker down in your bunker and all you do is watch MSNBC or, for that matter, Fox News, the only people you talk to are people who agree with you. You'll never have these moments. But if you, you know, like like well, you you broadcast from California. I live in New York City most of the year. You know, I'm surrounded by people who don't vote the or think the way I think. So I am often exposed to to their true thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I have, it's rare that I meet somebody, even somebody on the left, even somebody who's really, maybe not the ardent, you know, hot, molten core of left-wing thought and theology, but most general liberals, they will tell you things, and they will admit things, and they will say afterwards, of course, I could never tell anybody that. Mm-hmm. So the se- secretly, I think, you know, most Americans are normal. I think that's the dirty little secret about America is that most of us are normal uh, and kind of somewhere in the middle, kind of the squishy center, like, well, this and that. That's, that's actually a normal way to be. 
And, I, and even like, I always wanted to say, like, uh, you know when the college campuses every now and then they explode over some crazy nonsense and we all kind of roll our eyes and we look at those pictures and we think, oh, my God, college kids, they're just crazy. You know, if you just widen the frame a little bit and you look at all the other kids in the background or off screen or off the frame, all kind of going to class and, like, looking at this mess and rolling their eyes, that's mostly what America is. I would agree just with you. Me, just let me get go. Let me go. Let me get to work. Let me do my thing. Just sh- can you keep it down. If you got to have a screaming match, just keep it down. And we kind of roll our eyes. And and I'm and, uh, I think there are uh, many, 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 many more liberals who believe that than don't, and many, many more liberals who are um, who are willing to accept that the left has gone crazy uh, in its sort of excesses, its cultural excesses. They may not. Um, they may not ultimately vote that way. We haven't given them a reason to vote that way. I think it's uh, Donald Trump is very, very easy to dislike. He's very, very easy for people who are on the fence to say, well, not him. Um, but, uh, you know, most Americans are normal. And you know, the, the, the trick to winning the country back is to run candidates who are normal. But we just, uh, the Republicans and Democrats have a hard time doing that. Well, and, and, and you know, Republicans have, have given, have lately... Um, been more a part of a cult than a political party with a platform of ideas right. and um, and issues and ways in which to fix the things that really trouble middle America. Um, but, yeah. you know, I most of the people I meet, um, even here in crazy California, are like the people you describe. They're Middle Americans, they are, you know, yeah. they. It, it's like somebody will whisper in my ear at, at synagogue, you know, I'm Republican. I mean, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like it's a secret. It's a dirty secret. We have our own special yeah. handshake, you know. Right. Well, when I moved, I moved to California in 1990, or not, sorry, 1988 to go to film school. And I was started working in 1990, and I was, at, I think I was the only, at that point, Republican. I mean, at that point, I was still a registered Republican in uh, in, well, I thought I was the only one in show business, and I thought oh, that was the worst thing in the world. And then I realized that actually it's a great statistic because one out of every three Hollywood Republicans goes on to become president of the United States. Back then, that was true. Um, now, of course, it's the, there are plenty of them. Um, what's interesting about certain places, like I think Hollywood is one of them, um, is that the people who tend to be a little bit more center right are a little lower on the pay scale. And they're, so, yeah. Yeah. People who live in Bel Air and Brentwood and Beverly Hills, uh, they pretty much vote blue. And the people who live on the outskirts of town and have to drive into work, uh, they tend to vote red. And that is kind of how it works across the country now. And in, in many ways, it makes sense, right? Because if you. Mm-hmm. If you uh, if you believe you know if you you know believe in values of hard work and all that stuff and and and, and the system, I mean the capitalist system, uh, you, you're going to want to support it. But on the other hand, it's kind of gratifying because what it really shows about America is that we're not filled with um, envious, um, jealous kind of socialists the way there are now in in the, in the in the Congress. We're not we're not filled with people who tell each other to tell themselves pretty lies. That make you feel good about well that guy is successful because he cheated. Well, this this company is like is mm-hmm. evil or any of those things. We don't. We try not to tell each other that stuff. And I think, I mean, you know, when I would go through phases of it up, up and down, as you know. I mean, recently it's been 
you, I've been seeing more of that on the right. But in general, um, the center right in America uh, embraces the great, new, great good news of capitalism, which is that more people have been pulled out of poverty, really, really terrible poverty across the world and in America by capitalism than any other system. But and, but but we, you know, I, I want you to hold that thought because I'm going to come back and ask you about Elizabeth Warren. But we got to go pay the bills real quick here. And we'll be right back with Rob Long. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back with Rob Long. And we're, we, when we left off, we were t- he was talking about the wonders of capitalism. And isn't, <laughs> right. it, and isn't it interesting that Elizabeth Warren, somebody you would expect would understand how capitalism works and how jobs are created and small businesses are, are created, has now decided that it is time to break up the big monopolies like Google and Facebook and Amazon. Now, I think there we need to regulate them, but it appears that that this Harvard law professor whose expertise is in bankruptcy, she may actually understand how to bankrupt the country, um, is now opposed to exactly what you were talking about as we went to break, which is that capitalism allows an entrepreneur to go out and create something and that there is no platform better for that creation than eBay or mm-hmm. or right. Amazon, et cetera. Um, I, I don't know that all of their um, uh, practices of how they manage their vendors and how they manage our private data don't need to be regulated, but the concept is that you have to break up the platform and the application um, would crater a very big part of the American economy, and yet the Democrats are going to run on that sort of anti. Hickenlooper would not acknowledge to Joe Scarborough that he's a capitalist. I know. You know, I, I did uh, Greg Gutfeld's show um, uh, on Saturday night. I think it was place tonight. I should plug it. And he kept playing that over and over again. And we're watching. I, I was staggered. What, what, what stunned me about Hickenlooper was that Hickenlooper is a capitalist. Absolutely. Uh, he, he is one, and he was actually a pretty moderate governor. He's exactly who the Democrats should be putting up, exactly who the country should be deciding, you know, should be in the mix. He was a very competent governor of a, of, a, of a very important state that has a lot of different businesses. He was a pro-energy governor. He's pro-fracking. There's no particular reason why he should be. Why should he be embarrassed to say, yeah, I'm in favor of capitalism? Look, look, look compare it to any other system for bringing people out of poverty and, and actually allowing them to achieve. Greatness, good, I mean, good heavens, it's crazy. But the Elizabeth Warren thing is really just kind of—I mean, I hate—I'm not trying to be mean to her. She's a very accomplished person, but for a long time, her salary was paid by uh, Harvard University, which gets it by through an endowment, and that endowment is invested in the stock market. That's why it's twenty-five billion dollars or something now. Uh, so the idea that you somehow can you, your hands are clean if you're a professor at a hugely endowed university is crazy. But also, like, it's kind of like grandma talking about these companies. She doesn't really understand Google. And she mm-hmm. doesn't really understand Facebook. She doesn't understand how they work. I mean, these companies are more, more likely platforms than they are actual 
uh, you know, or conduits for advertising. So, Absolutely. Yes, I guess you don't want them to lose the, you don't want them to lose your your data, but maybe you know we're all sort of discovering this at the same time that there's only a limited amount of data you want to give those com- those companies. That's fair too. But the idea that the companies themselves need to be broken, uh, how would you break them up? The whole point of the companies that it's you're saying <laughs> you, I'm going to break up the newspaper. You can only buy the sports page. You, it's you've, just, just crazy. You do know the, the fairy tale about the golden goose and how that ends, don't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I, I think that has something to do with it. But but then this morning's news, you know, the, the, the wonder of, of Apple is the proliferation of bulletins, right? The wonderful news this morning is that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has decreed that capitalism is fundamentally evil. Now, you know, I think that AOC is Donald Trump's apprentice on the on the left. She's well, she's doing a good job. yeah, Yeah, I mean, absolutely. She's got the outrage thing going good. So Here's my here's here's my bottom line for 2020. Whatever happens in the presidential race, Republicans must hold the Senate. So we've got about five minutes here, give or take. Let's talk about from what's the message? You know, you and I agree that middle America is center right. Um, we agree we're capitalists. Um, we're also very compassionate people. So what's the message that, because there's no platform, so you and I get to make it up right now, that would carry forward, that would give people a sense, once again, we are a melting pot, we are an equal opportunity society, we're entrepreneurial, we're capitalist, and we're optimistic. Right. Uh, I think that we have a model for this. And uh, we have a very successful political model that we should uh, uh, ape. You know, you go to, you go to, you know, when a, when a team goes to the Super Bowl or to a very important game, they watch uh, film, they watch tape, they watch tape of their opponent. They don't watch tape of themselves. They want to see what their opponent does. So, what did our opponent? What did the, the the Democratic Party do from the you know late '60s all the way into really till the late '90s? They got big. They just got big. They didn't really worry about having this sort of tight, coherent like view on stuff. They let a lot of flowers bloom. You had right, very, very conservative national security Democrats. You had capitalist Democrats. You had some crazy crackpot left-wing Democrats. They all kind of worked together, and they got big, and they got very, very powerful. Um, that's what we ought to do. We ought to just get bigger. We ought to have a bigger platform that embraces a lot of different stuff. It doesn't have to necessarily all hang together. I mean, I know this seems kind of a crazy thing to say, but it's really, really true. What are the things that people really care about? They really care about education. So maybe we reform education. They really care about uh, 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 whether whether um, for-profit education is something that we're going to support and, and encourage, which I think we should, yes. or it's something that we should we should uh, we should um, make available to everybody. Whether we should have market forces for price discovery in healthcare, places like that. That seems like those are simple things that people go, oh, yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know? I see, I watch TV, and on my, uh, every show I watch, there are at least two or three insurance commercials for car insurance and life insurance. Why aren't they there for health insurance? You know, ask your socialist uh, Democrats why they're not there. They, shouldn't you be constantly bombarded with uh, health insurance companies desperate for your business rather than the other way around? I mean, simple, simple questions like that, I think. We don't have to have 
necessarily when you're trying to appeal to people, you don't have to have one single answer, but asking the questions that they're asking and saying, this is something we're going to fix, I think that's really powerful. Uh, something we've lost, right? We, uh, we on the right now have entered our kind of our dark phase, I think, mm-hmm. where all we want to do is talk to each other. Absolutely. All we want to do is scream at each other. But look, the scale of American politics is crazy huge, right? You need, you need 120 million people to vote to win for, for, for an election, right? If you want to lose the presidency, you need 63 million people to vote for you on Election Day Tuesday. That's how you lose, because your opponent's going to get 65 million. Now, I'm from Hollywood, right? If you could get 63 million people to the movie theater on a weekend, that is a billion-dollar movie opening. That's never happened before. We're lucky to get when we get a hundred million coming in on a weekend for an opening weekend. That's considered celebration. I mean, it popping champagne corks everywhere. But so, so the scale of everything is huge. But, you know, uh, I think Jill Stein got more votes for president than Sean Hannity has viewers. I think that's true. Yeah, and we act like, you know, God bless Sean. He's really great at his job, but he ain't. He's not convincing anybody who we need to convince. That is a big problem for us. I think that's I think that's true. There's so much focus on the base and 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 it's a cult of bending to the weakest and the most um, unproductive uh, rote talking points of the base when and by the way, the base is shrinking while the electorate is growing. Uh, That's not the way you want to go. When, in fact, intellectually, I mean, I've always said the reason that I was, until I became a no-party preference person, a Republican, was that it was where the intellectual um, what-if was. You know, it it was aspirational. It was we can do better, mourning in America. Um, compassionate conservatism, ideas that were embracing of more instead of clinging to less, you know, and and I think that's, yeah, well, I, you know, I watch one out, I I watch Brett Baer on Fox. Other than that, I don't watch Fox. (laughs) Well, Brett Baer, look, look, a lot of the shows are really entertaining. I know Tucker Carlson, and uh, he's a great entertaining guy, and I love watching that show, but it's not the same thing as persuading people. No. It's just what I mean, and and it's okay to listen to the music that you want to listen to, but if you actually want to, like, change stuff, I mean, look, the mo- you're in California. The model, the, the trajectory of the National Republican Party is going to follow the trajectory of the California Republican Party. It's going to get I think smaller you're, and smaller and I smaller. I think you're right. So it's the number three party. And it's okay if that's what you want, but it isn't a way to win. It isn't a way to win a, a, a government back. And I think that we, we forget, like, nothing happens in American politics historically independently. Nothing happens. We have AOC, we have Bernie, the resurgence of Bernie Sanders, we have a whole collection of, of crackpot leftist socialists on the left because we have a, a fairly toxic president in, in popularity. We have, we lost the House, we lost it big in a sweeping midterm election because people don't like the president. And, yes, it's true that if you look at the Fox News poll, he's got, you know, he's on 46 percent. You can tell each other all the lies. You can tell yourself all the lies you want. You know in your heart he's not popular because the job of the president is to kind of appeal to everybody. And that, if you don't, you, you cannot do it if you don't want to do it. It's not a law. But if you, there are consequences to these things. 
and um, you know the consequences to a president who you know tells it like it is or whatever they are. He fights back is that you end up losing the at the House and you're in, in, in real danger of losing the Senate in 2020. Hi. But nothing happens. Nothing happens in American politics in the history of American politics independently. It's all reaction, counter reaction. The voters are very smart. The voters choose that. What have they chosen? And, and what is it like? I don't know. All every single of the last six presidencies, seven presidencies, they've chosen to separate power by party. I and I think that's true. Um, and and I think that the voters will. I mean, that is my hope. If if the Republicans can, um, if the if if the party can separate itself from the cult. In order to be what it was, then we have a modicum of hope of holding on to the United States Senate. Um, otherwise, we may be facing in 2020, if we're not realists, if we're not cultural realists, we could in 2020 be facing unitary government on the other side. And can't you hardly wait for that one? But you remember, we had it. We had that in 2008. Um, and, and, and by the way, Barack, people, I mean, you know. People on the right are crazy. They don't give Barack Obama any credit. This guy ran a fantastic campaign. He won fifty three percent of the of the popular vote. That was a huge, smashing victory. He cr- and he had the, the the media loved him. Everybody loved him. And he was president in two thousand eight. And uh, he he you know, he socialized medicine. He certainly did that. And then the Republicans stopped him cold. And the the the, the House switched in two thousand ten. People said, "Oh, this guy's a little too too crackpot for us." <laughs> and and I think I think in 2020 we're going to come full circle. We are, Rob. Unfortunately, out of time. But if you want to hear more from Rob, you need to go to liberty-forum.us and get your tickets for his March 12th. That's his coming Tuesday appearance at um, in Mountain View at the Liberty Forum. And Rob, I will look forward to shaking your hand on Tuesday night. And I can't Thank tell you, you how much I appreciate your time this morning. Uh, it was really, really fun. And I, you know, I listened to a couple of your podcasts on Ricochet. They're fantastic. I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Happy to be here. I, I'll look forward to meeting you on Tuesday. Have a great one. Travel safe. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. We've got about one minute left. And so I really urge you, if you can, to come see Rob Long at the Liberty Forum on Tuesday. And again, information um, on the website. If you've got a comment or a topic uh, you'd like me to cover, I think we'll open the phone lines next week and talk about this conversation. But if, if you'd like to um, comment, um, send me an email at Joyce at reimagineamerica.org, or you can send me a tweet at Joyce Cordy, all lowercase, all one word, or at Reimagine America Radio. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. To hear a repeat of this or any Reimagine America radio hour broadcast you'll find us at reimagineamerica.org and until next sunday have a wonderful day keep dry the sun is coming
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.